You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Amen, and God bless you this evening. Welcome to Southridge. So honored and thrilled to see each and every one of you. Want to wish you a happy new year if I haven't done so. So good to be with you and in God's house together. We're going to be doing a new series. We're going to look at the book of Exodus. I think it's very important right now that we look at a passage of Scripture where we see a group of people faced with insurmountable odds, a group of people going through the most difficult time, and yet look how they handled it. Because today, I don't know about you, but I know in my heart, I thought we would come into 2021 and we'd be able to leave some things in 2020 and not bring them with us. But sure enough, we're still dealing with some difficult things, aren't we? We're dealing with COVID. We are dealing with political unrest. We're dealing with heightened tensions. We're dealing with the fact that shelter in place is going in longer than we want it to be. And all of a sudden, a little bit of fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, discouragement can begin to set into our hearts. And it's in those moments that I don't know if you're like me, but I start looking for an escape. And sometimes escape is not always helpful. It's not always holy. It's not always the right thing. But yet what I love about the book of Exodus, it's just that. It's not an escape. It's an exit out of everything. You see, an escape could be some bad things. Uh, You ever heard somebody say this? you know, I just have a tendency to eat my feelings. Or you have somebody that just say, man, I just need to have another drink before I handle this situation. What are they trying to do? They're trying to somehow escape. Or they say, I need some retail therapy right now. And I'm afraid oftentimes we as God's people, we can start looking for an escape instead of waiting on God to lead us to the exit that he has for us. I spoke with somebody this week. We sat down and I shared with them how in 2016 I was going through a very difficult season in my life and I felt like I'd made some very poor decisions. I felt like I had led some things in a wrong direction. I was deeply discouraged. I was deeply troubled by it. And I came home late one night and I sat on the edge of the bed and I was just heartbroken. And I told Jane, she she was already asleep and she woke up and when I was just talking, I said, I think I ruined things. I think I did something, and I don't know if we can come back from this, and I think I'm just going to escape. I think I'm just going to quit. And then she said something profound. I believe oftentimes the Holy Spirit can sound like our wives sometimes. Isn't that funny how God does that? But then she spoke. She said, did God tell you it was time to go? I said, no, I not I don't believe I heard from God that he told me it was time to go. Then she said, then we're staying here. 
No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter the setbacks, because this is where God called you. And with God's callings come his enablings, is what Spurgeon said. And when we are faced with the season that we're faced with, where the church is facing, where our country is facing, where you and I as individuals facing maybe unemployment, financial setback, health setback, there comes a moment where we say, God, I want to escape, but I will wait for the exit. Because the children of Israel, they said, Lord, the Bible says that they cried out by reason of their taskmasters, saying, God, do you see us? And God began to prepare a man. But what we often don't understand is that God's preparation for that man meant that he was going to be a baby first. A lot of us just want the solution, don't we? We don't want to let it grow up, do we? We don't want to wait the 40 years. And for Moses, it didn't take 40 years. It took 80 years, didn't it? Because he had to be a shepherd on the backside of the desert for 40 years before God used him. So we're going to look at, over the next several weeks, how do we handle, how do we deal with the fact that we're faced with some incredible things, and you and I might be tempted in this season to give in to fear, to give in to doubt and discouragement. And I want us to know that while we may be looking for the exit, I want us to learn to wait on God for him to lead us to the exit. Because there's a difference between an escape and an exit. You say, well, this kind of feels like the end. It may feel like that. And I want to entitle this message, Exits, Not Ending. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of Exodus, chapter number 12. Let's pick it up kind of at the beginning of the Exodus. You see, you had 12 chapters prior, but that was God getting the man ready to lead. That's all that was happening. But all of a sudden, we come to Exodus chapter number 12 and Verse number one, I love how it opens, says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take to one according to the number of persons in them. In proportion to what each one should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month that the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh the same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled of all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with the entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall completely burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this way, with your garment belted around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will go throughout the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the human firstborn to animals and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here we see this passage opens up and God is speaking to Moses and he says something very interesting to Moses. He begins by saying to Moses and Aaron, this is the month. This is a special month. And then he goes on to say, on the 10th of that first month. I love it. Isn't the Bible amazing? Because here we are the first month on the 10th day of the month. And here we are reading about God's word saying, hey, This is a special moment right here. I'd love for you to write this down, that we are to mark this moment because that's what God is telling the children of Israel to do, to mark this moment. He's saying, hey, this is the first month, the 10th day of the month. I want you to mark this for a reason. There's something I'm about to do. And I want you to take a moment. Have you ever said to somebody, now's not a good time? Maybe a coworker came up to you and the coworker says, hey, can I just ask you a question? You say, it's not a good time. Maybe you're single and there's that annoying guy who keeps asking you out and you just say, ah, now it's not a good time. Try me in about 30 years. You know, it's just how do you gently let them down? Or have you ever said to your children when they come to you, now it's not a good time? Typically, it's while you're taking a shower or using the restroom is exactly when they want to bother you. It's really not a good time. Uh, we have... One son loves to kind of be a little boss. His name's Cain, and he likes to tell everybody what to do. And uh, the other day, Cain, uh, Austin wasn't doing his reading, so Cain said, did mom tell you to do your, re- your reading? You know, get to it. And then he looks at Megan. Megan, aren't you supposed to do piano? I was like, I can retire early. He's got it all taken care of. But he didn't stop there. Later that night, Jane and I were just sitting. We were just talking. We were about to go to bed. He comes into our room and says, can you guys just be quiet and go to bed now. (laughs) You know, it's like, man, I don't know about this guy. But there's always that person, it's, it's, it's not a good time. And we could say it about right now, like, pastor, why would I mark this moment? It's not really a good season. Have you seen the week that we've had? Pastor, have you lived under a rock? Have you been on the moon? Like, don't you know now's not a good time? Why would you want us to mark this moment? Pastor, have you just blind to everything that's going on? Why would I want to mark this moment like I marked my anniversary or my first kiss or my first date or the birth of my child? Why would I want to mark this moment? Why would I want to do that? You would think I would want to mark something good. Understand in chapter 12, nobody's been delivered yet. Nobody has left Egypt yet. So why is God, before they've even left, telling them to mark this particular moment? Because there's meaning in this moment. There's so much meaning in this moment. And we read through and all of a sudden, some of us may have gotten lost in the details of the entrails of the lamb and the goat and the 14th day and the 10th day and got to check it and bring it into your house and you only need a portion of it. What were all those details about? Because we just go through passages and we don't understand that God is putting meaning into this moment. And God has put meaning into this moment in history, this moment in your life. And too often we're so busy, we don't see the moment that God has put there. And God wants us to stop and say, hey, this moment right here, 
I know you want to rush through it. I know you want to get to the next. Some of us just want to go back to normal. We just want to get done with COVID. We want to get done with the political scene. We want to get done with the riots. We just want to just, oh, I just need it all to go away. Just need to get to normal. When I believe that God is saying, hey, mark this moment because there's something here. You say, what's here? First of all, God tells them that you must get a lamb. I remember reading in the book of Genesis where Abraham took his son, his only son Isaac, and led him up to the Mount Moriah. And Isaac's there and says, Father, the wood is here, the fire is here, but where is the lamb? Right now, all creation is crying out, where is the lamb? But God, as Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. And God did provide a lamb. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God when Jesus came. You see, what we're reading about is a picture of the future. You see, God wanted them to know that right now, I'm going to give you a picture of the future Savior, your future Messiah. Their faith looks forward, our faith looks back. And I would say, dare say, it takes more faith to look forward than it does to look back. I know I'm of a certainty of past historical events. Why? Because we have verifiable proof. But when it's future tense, where's the proof? It's all faith. And so God was telling him, mark this moment. I'm going to give you a picture of the future. And the future is Jesus. And so he says, you need to find a lamb. But then he also tells them, and bring the lamb into your house. How many of you have a pet at home? Can I see your hands? You have a pet at home. That's great. You probably have a dog, a cat, a goldfish, a gerbil. How many have a goat or a lamb as a pet? No, no goats, no lambs. Certainly not in your house, right? But for four days, they were to bring this lamb or a goat into their home. No, no, you didn't keep it outside. No, no, this was brought into your home, and you were to examine it for four days. You say, why? Because you were to see if there was any defect. You were to see if there was any blemish. You were to see what you got from the field. Does it limp? Because it needed to be a worthy sacrifice. If you study the New Testament, Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. Jesus, before he went to Calvary, he was examined not for four days, but by four trials. First, he went to uh, Pilate's house. Then he goes to the Sanhedrin. Then he goes to Pontius Pilate. And then he goes to Herod. He was examined four times. And then what did Pilate say about Jesus after he had been examined? He said, I find no fault in him. Do you see what Scripture is doing? It's saying there was a lamb. He was a worthy lamb. Worthy is the king. Our savior is worthy. Our Jesus is worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. I know we're going through setbacks. I know we're going through a difficult time. But we look to Jesus, not for escape, but for our hope. And we let him lead us to the exit. That's what's in this moment. And in that moment... Moses is told by God to mark it. So right now, mark this moment. What is God trying to teach you right now? What is God trying to show you that he's, you've been so preoccupied, you've been so busy, that all of a sudden you say, God, the way my country is, the way my family is, the way my health is, I must get into your word. And all of a sudden, as you get into God's word, God's word gets into you, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, and things start to come alive, and the word of God, which is quick and powerful, begins to do a work that he's never been able to do in your life, and all of a sudden, things begin to change, not around you, but within you. And that's the most important change. 
You want change at the White House? You want change in the schoolhouse? It starts right here in your house and in my house where we say, God, I'm available. Do your work right now. See, Jesus is that lamb. He was examined. He was led to the cross and he could die for you and I because he was worthy. You see, in this moment, there's meaning. And I believe church, I believe God is trying to show our country something right now. And I believe God is trying to teach us something. We can't go through a horrific week like we've gone through and not take pause and say, God, what is going on? I must seek your face. I must get into your word. And many of you may seem like, I still don't get it, Pastor. This moment just seems too difficult. It seems too hard. I just don't know if I can make it. Where's the escape? Where's the end? And I want you to know what you're presently in will one day be in your past. Let me say it again. What you're presently in will one day be in your past. I love the way the Bible opens in some chapters of the New Testament, and it came to pass. And that's the truth. Right now, it's difficult. I just got a brand new baby nephew. He was born at 7 a.m. this morning. 48 hours of labor, but we get to welcome a new addition. And my wife was texting our sister-in-law, and she said, man, that was rough. But oh, it's so wonderful to see a new baby. Joy does come in the morning, like Pastor Miss Al said last week. Yes, there's some labor, there's some intensity, but there's so much good on the other side. I believe God is about to lead us into something. And what we need to understand is what we're presently in will one day be in your past. So right now, don't get too discouraged. Don't get too disappointed. Don't get too down. I'd like to tell you this, that your feelings are not forever. What you are currently feeling, the discouragement, the disappointment, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, those feelings are not forever. And I know the enemy would love to tell you, this is it, this is all there is, never going to get any better. Because it just seems like everything gets worse and worse if you're watching the news. They never have anything good to say. I say, let's just stop listening. Like at the end of the day, let's just say, you know what, yep, take it, I'm done. I'm just going to get in the Bible, I'm going to find my friends, my family, my church, I'm good. I don't need it, I don't need it. If I want to know what's going on, I'm sure somebody will tell me. I worked for a pastor for years, didn't own a cell phone, for years. And we were like, pastor, you need a cell phone, you need a cell phone. He's like, why? Everybody around me has at least one, and some of you even have two. So he said, wherever I'm at, I can always make a phone call. And he said, and I have less stress than you have, because my hip's not always buzzing and dinging and going off all the time. So I was like, wait a minute, you've got it right. We've got all these things that are just more cares from this world. When God is trying to say, hey, mark this moment. Not only is he trying to say, mark this moment, notice verse number 11. He said this to the people, now you shall eat it in this way. With your garment belted around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in a hurry. All the moms probably don't like that. You probably tell your family to slow down, chew your food, enjoy your food, take your time. But instead... The Bible said it's the Lord's Passover. We need to eat it and be ready. I want you to see, first of all, God was saying, mark this moment, but secondly, make ready to move. You know, Egypt is a picture of sin and the world. That's what Egypt always in the Bible pictured. It pictures your uh, before Christ life, the life that you knew before you knew Jesus. 
Egypt represents the past. It represents our sin. That's why there needed to be a blood covering, salvation. But then after salvation, there's baptism. The baptism happened at the Red Sea. You see, they were saved by the blood covering because without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin, Hebrews 9. So first you see salvation, and in two chapters later, we're going to see the baptism happen as you enter into that new life. But understand right here and right now, God wanted them to get ready to move. When it comes time to move out of sin, to move out of the world, God doesn't want you to do it slowly. When it comes time to leave the old life, to leave the old habits, to leave sin, God wants to do it quickly. He wants you to eat in a hurry, have your clothes on, have your staff in your hand, and you be ready to go. But yet some of us, oh, this is where we struggle, isn't it? Because the allure of the world is so strong. We're like, but Lord, I love my old habits. I kind of love the world. I kind of love these things I know I'm not supposed to do, these things I know I'm not supposed to go. I kind of love it, and it pulls me back in, Father. And God is trying to let them know, make ready to move. When I say go, you go. I don't want you to be dilly-dallying around. I don't want you to be taking your time. I don't want you to be checking your email. I don't want you to be checking your phone. I don't want you to be messing around on the computer or video games. I want you to be ready to go. My wife gave me a great book for a Christmas present. It's a book of Puritan prayers written hundreds of years ago. And I admired one of the pages I read this week. He said this. It was a Puritan pastor. And he wrote, Lord, help me to leave the world before I enter the church. I thought, that's amazing. He lived in a day and age where how much sin was there really readily available in the 1700s? I mean, come on. Like, what, what kind of trouble did you really get? Oh, man, they got wild playing nine pins and drinking some spiked cider. Like, it was wild. Like, just how much trouble were these guys getting in? But I loved his spirit. Because he said, i got to leave the world before I come into church. When's the last time you and I said, I'm about to go into church, and I know the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I'm the temple, but yet there's something about I'm going to church. How about I leave some things behind? How about I let some things go? Because I need to be, make ready to move when God wants me to move. For too often, we're not ready, and we wait. But instead, God is saying, when it's time to move, you move. But then verse number 12, he says, For I will go throughout the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the human firstborn to animals. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why would God fatally strike the firstborn of Egypt? I mean, whenever I get into a debate with somebody, this is what they bring up. They say, we love the God of the New Testament. It's the Old Testament God we can't stand. Why would he murder the firstborn? Why would God do that? And once again, many times when we look at these passages and other people look at these passages, they're taking sound bites and snippets and they don't understand it in context. And this is why, Christian, it's so important that you and I have a good grasp on the Bible, that the Bible, you can't just take one little part. You need to understand how it connects with the entire whole. This is why we don't just take out parse and parse it where we, where we disagree with it. Because God is continuing a trend here. You say, what's God's trend? God never accepted the firstborn. You say, what? No, God never accepted the firstborn. Starting in the book of Genesis, Cain killed Abel. 
So you'd think Cain would then be the new firstborn. But is that who God chose? No, he passed over Cain and he chose Seth. That's not the only time he did it. Abraham had a son before Isaac. His name was Ishmael. Ishmael is the true older son. But did God choose Ishmael or Isaac? He chose the second. He chose Isaac. Not only that, but Isaac had two sons. The firstborn was Esau. The secondborn was Jacob. Who did God choose, Esau or Jacob? God chose the secondborn. He chose Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Did Jacob choose the firstborn? No. He chose to use Joseph. Reuben was the older. Reuben should have carried on the family line, but that's not who God chose. God doesn't take the first birth. Let's continue it. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh's the older child. Ephraim is the younger child. And Jacob is going to bless Joseph's children. And Jacob is going to put his hands of blessing. The right hand was the hand of blessing. That's the right hand. That's why we extend the right hand of fellowship. But instead of putting his right hand on the oldest, Manasseh, he puts his right hand on the younger, Ephraim. You say, what, where are you going with, Pastor? Your first birth is not enough. I know, I know you're still confused. Let me say it like this. You ever heard this quote? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You see, you and I were born once naturally, but we need to be born again supernaturally. God does not accept the natural birth. God doesn't accept your first birth. There needs to be a second birth. What is God doing? He's pointing us back to Jesus, that you and I need Jesus, that it's not about us. Your good works won't do it. You say, why was God taking the firstborn? Because God wanted to give us a picture that the first birth is never enough. We need a second birth. That's why he needed a Passover, the blood covering. God needed to cover it. And if you've never been born again, your first birth is not enough. Your good works is not enough. Your good looks is not enough. God is trying to paint a beautiful picture. He's saying, hey, when it comes time to leave the world, then you leave the world. If you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, then it's time that we say, good riddance, Satan. Good riddance, sin. I've left you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Therefore, you are no longer an old person things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So why do you continue to live in the old nature? You've been renewed. You've been restored, redeemed, blood-bought. You're a child of God. But why do we continue to want to live like the first Adam and not the second Adam? The firstborn and not the secondborn. God is trying to get us to get ready and to move out of that old lifestyle. Do you see it, folks? There's so much God is doing here. There's so much he's teaching. There's so much that he's showing to us. But yet how many people, they say, oh, I admire Jesus' life and ministry. But it wasn't Jesus' life and ministry that brought life. Let me say it again. It was not Jesus' life and ministry that brought life. It was his death. You say, man, I admire Jesus. Oh, you do? Are you willing to die to rights when you get in an argument with your wife and say, you know what? I feel like I'm right, but guess what? It doesn't matter, does it? You get upset with somebody in the church instead of bickering and arguing about it. Say, you know, it just doesn't matter, does it? I, 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 I don't deserve anything. I deserve eternal hell and punishment in the lake of fire. But God gloriously saved and redeemed me. So guess what? It doesn't matter what we're bickering and arguing about. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I 
but Christ lives in me. It's the new life. It's the redeemed life. Jesus is trying to teach them and he's trying to teach us today that to make ready, stop living in the old life. It's time that you and I live in the new life. Oftentimes, we're going to go insane looking at this world, but God's sovereignty is just all over this passage. And when we see God's sovereignty, that should bring us sanity. I know it's cliche, but God's sovereignty really is my sanity. Because I know he's in control, is he not? It doesn't matter who occupies the White House. It doesn't matter who occupies your house or my house. Understand, it's about who occupies the throne of my heart. It's who, who occupies the throne of your heart. And if it's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, then we can rest at ease. We can rest at peace. But we need to leave. We need to, we need to leave it. In 1955, a man who had a very successful business, his business was thriving, his business was doing well. This business had received all kinds of accolades. And he quits. Sells off his stock options. Divests himself from everything from the company he built from scratch. He pulls out a second loan on his mortgage. Takes all of his wealth that he could compile and says, I'm done with that. I need to start something new. And so with that, Walt Disney began a whole new venture, and he created Disneyland, which now has taken over for Disney. There was another man by the name of Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings in 2010, he was into the DVD mail subscription service. Did anybody get the Netflix DVDs? Come on, let me see your hands. Those were the days, were they not? My account, I was only allowed three DVDs. Maybe your account allowed five. I only got three. You had to mail them back in and get them. My kids will never know that you used to have to go to Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, or mail-in DVDs. All they know now is that you didn't have Disney Plus, Stone Age. Like, what, what in the world? Neanderthal. Like, uh, what do you mean I can't just turn on the TV and there's movies and, and things? No, no. You had to go to the video store, and on Friday night, you'd walk in. You'd say, there's the movie I want. They got a whole wall of it, only to find out that actually the movie you want to rent, they got a whole bunch of covers. There's no movie behind that cover. And then you got to go behind the desk. You got to ask the 15 year old who doesn't care, hey, is there any of the, uh, anybody put the movie back in the returns? Like, go check it. And he just stares at you like, what? I mean, he's stoned out of his mind, baked out of his mind. He doesn't care. He's just hoping you'll get your movie and leave. That's all. Nobody will remember those days. And then when you go to get your movie, they say, oh, you have a $25 late fee. A $25 late fee? Are you kidding me? The movie's only $3.99. Now I got to pay an extra $25 to rent this movie? No, thanks. Life is so much easier. But Reed Hastings in 2010, he was making so much money at Netflix by sending DVDs. It was successful. It was profitable. It was their bread and butter. But in 10, 2010, he made a decision. Hey, guys, everybody that's in charge of the DVD mail subscription service, you're done. There's a new thing I'm going to do. Direct to consumer where you can stream content. Understand in 2010, you remember how bad the YouTube videos were? How slow they were? But in 2010, he made a decision that changed everything. He said, we got to change, we got to change now. There was another man, his name was Billy Sunday. He played for the Chicago White Sox. He was a shortstop. And one day he's walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago and he hears some music coming out of the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And there's somebody preaching about a heaven that's sweet and a hell that's hot. And in that moment, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He gives his life to Jesus and he turns to the other players and he says, well, we've come to a parting of the ways. I'm done. He 
did away with baseball. He was a professional athlete and he was successful. And in that moment, he said, I'm done with it all. And maybe you and I need to come to the point where we say, dear God, you've been so good to me. You've done so much for me. What is a little sacrifice to you? And so, Lord, I'm willing to leave this world and all its pleasures and all its joys because it pales in comparison to when I look full in your wonderful face. What happens, church, is the church is more in love with the world than we are with the one who created the world. And that's why we look so much like the world. We act so much like the world. And that's why the world looks at us and looks at the church and they have nothing but derision and scorn because we've lost our salt. We've dimmed our light. And all of a sudden, across our country, and you are seeing it this evening, folks, the church is now the target. This Thursday, there'll be an important court case, a very important court case. And this Thursday, you will see that the church is on attack in our country. And as California goes, so goes the nation. But yet we're comfortable to live in Egypt, aren't we? We're comfortable. And you will see that played out as we study. How many times did the Israelites say to Moses, weren't we better off in Egypt? At least we had garlic. And so many times we will sell out God. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to pursue you no matter what the cost. The world behind me, the cross before me. I follow Jesus. The blood covered it. I was paid for in blood. And now I will live for God with my life. But let's continue reading this chapter. Verse 29, we'll skip a few verses. In verse 29, it says, Now it came about midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. You can just imagine what a horrific night this was. And Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. The loss of life is, we can't even imagine. If there was estimated two million Jews that are about to leave, could you imagine how many Egyptians? And to see their livestock, to see their family, to see their children, everyone was affected. Then they called Moses and Aaron at night and said, rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. Go and worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in a hurry, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the cloths on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Therefore they plundered the Egyptians. Skip down please to verse number 41. And at the end of 430 years... On this very day, all the multitude of the Lord departed from the land of Egypt. We started off by talking about not an escape, but waiting for God to lead us to an exit. If you have a highlighter, you have your Bible, would you underline 430 years? How many generations came and went, came and went, 
came and went, and all the while just under the persecution, under the weight of slavery, all the while saying, God, when were we going to be done with this? And in one moment, God said, I'm going to turn it around. And after 430 years, God comes in with a mighty arm. And understand this, underscore this. They waited on God for 430 years. I get frustrated when I have to wait on God for 430 seconds. But for 430 years, they waited on God. Please write this down. There's wisdom in the waiting. We live in a culture and a society, and it's made its way all over the church. We want it now. God, work now. You're not working fast enough. Where's my breakthrough? Where's my deliverance? God, come on. I'm snapping my fingers. Come on. Where are you? I'm tapping my foot. I've crossed my arms. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Our church at the end of this month will come up on seven years of church planting. Seven years. And oftentimes throughout the seven years, I'm just kind of like, when, God, when? But seven years is nothing compared to 430. We haven't even begun to compare to 430 years. But all the while, you and I, we get this spirit that, God, you should work faster. You should do it this way. And God's like, if I took 430 years to get Israel ready, I will take my time with you. For I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, which means I control all time. God operates according to his time. Because the wisdom and the waiting is that as you wait, your endurance builds. It grows. That there is something in the season God is growing and he's developing in you. And so as you are waiting on God, understand it's not wasted time. You may feel like, God, when is this COVID going to end? When's shelter in place going to end? When's the political turmoil going to end? When's it all just going to go away? And God's like, I'm doing something. And you don't see my wisdom yet. But I'm working. And I'm working all things together for good. And the Bible even goes on to tell us when we run, that we should run with endurance. But how do you build endurance? By running. Running for long stretches of time. One thing the church we are beginning to build is endurance. We're beginning to build endurance in our prayer closets. We're beginning to build endurance in our diligent study of the scripture. We are just beginning to endure. And I know we just want to snap our fingers and make everything better, but God sees a bigger picture. And if God took 80 years to form the man Moses to get him ready to lead, he can take his time with you and I. Because we cannot sing, I am available, then snap our fingers at God and say, God, where is my paycheck? God, where's the, you're going to fix my husband, save my child, change this. How dare we sing, I am available? What you really want to sing is, God, are you available for me? How arrogant are we? I worked for somebody, and every once in a while I could get a little bit bossy. And he would say, hey, he's a guy from Missouri. He would say, hey, who died and made you straw boss? I didn't know what he meant, but I got the message. I think too often we need to say to ourselves, hey, did God die and leave you in charge? I don't mean to be so harsh because I know we've all been through a difficult week, but sometimes we need to step back and say, wait a minute, there's wisdom in the waiting. There's something God's doing here that I don't understand. I wanted to get married to my wife as soon as I met her. Oh, man, I tried so many times to marry that woman. 
And, and she tried to get away from me for so many times and finally I corralled her and then I, I, I've told you the story how I proposed three times and man, we just wanted to get married, wanted to get married, wanted to get married. Man, I couldn't wait to be married. And I would watch all my friends get married. I watch everybody, even siblings get married. And I was like, man, God, why, why can't I get married? Why aren't you allowing this to happen for me? And then finally the day came, the miracle of miracles. I was getting married. I was so excited, I'm getting married. And man, we had a beautiful wedding, amazing wedding. Oh, man, we got so many wonderful gifts. I was just blown away by people's generosity and their kindness. It was incredible. And then after we got home from the honeymoon, there was another pile of gifts that somebody put in my apartment. They said, hey, here's some more stuff that came in. Man, I stepped back and I was like, wow, that's great. And then I'd get around all those people that got married way ahead of us. And they'd come over. They'd be like, how did you guys get so much stuff? I said, what are you talking about? You mean, you mean you didn't get all this? I said, no, we didn't, we didn't get nearly that much. I said, well, some of this, yeah, was gifts, but then because we were waiting to get married, we just both kept saving money. And because we saved a bunch of money, when we finally did get married, we could we'd actually have a real couch and not two cardboard boxes to sit on. And you know, the air mattress was only just the first night after that. The mattress was finally delivered and the bed set and everything else. And, and I said, you know, maybe there was some truth to waiting because I was able to save up. I was able to get some things together. There's some wisdom in the waiting. And I feel like you and I as Christians, we forget that sometimes God just wants us to wait on things. And God wants us to endure on some things. And we want to wait and we need to let God just do a work. And I know sometimes we get annoyed. Sometimes I'll be sitting in the car and my wife will be getting ready and I'll be really tempted because I don't know about your car, but my car has something right in the middle of the steering wheel. Right in the middle of the steering wheel. I don't know if your car has it, but my car has this. And it's got a little, little thing that looks like a trumpet on it. Well, you know, if you push that, it sends a loud horn honk to everybody else. And it means, hurry up, I'm hungry, we need to go, we're late. That's what it means. But if you do that, just understand what it also means is that she will probably beat you silly if you honk. That's, that's also what it means. So you just don't touch it. You just don't touch it. Even if I'm stuck in traffic and the guy cut me off, I still don't touch it. Because I don't want to unintentionally get used to ever touching it. But what I've noticed... What I have noticed is that while she's taking time, and we might be late, some good things are happening. Not that she wasn't beautiful before, but oh man, it looks especially good when she comes out and comes to the car. I'm like, you want to just stay in tonight? You want to just stay home? Like, we don't really need to go out to dinner. The restaurant's not that great. It's COVID. We're going to have to eat outdoors. It'd be cold. It'd be nasty. Let's just stay in. There's something to be said about letting us wait on God because as he's in the, the, the workroom, as he's preparing that future spouse, as he's preparing that future ministry, as he's preparing our future building, as he's preparing our church, as he's preparing our marriages, as he's preparing our children, as he is going to work on our hearts, all of a sudden something great is coming out because God says, as in my right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's never let us down. He's never disappointed. He's never shortchanged. He's never going to leave you in doubt and despair. God is a good God. God is a great God. God is a God that has always come through. He has never failed. He has never disappointed and he will never abandon us. And so we need to learn there's wisdom in the waiting and so we can build our endurance and say, God, I'm available. So that means I'm available to stay right here, right now. Shelter in place, mass, COVID, whatever going on, God, I'm available. And if this is where you have me, yes, sir, sign me and this is my, 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 my calling is right here. And I don't care how hard it gets. I don't need an escape. I will let you lead me to the exit. I will let you lead me in your time. You say, why? Why? 
was it so wonderful to see the wisdom and the waiting? Notice if you would, verse 36. The Bible says, the Lord God gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That's a nice word. I like favor. Say favor this evening. Would you do that for me, church? Favor. God's favor is something you and I both want. We want it on our finances. We want it on our marriage. We want it on our parenting. We should pray and ask for the favor of God. There are things you can do to work towards the favor of God. But because they had God's favor, there's a second word in the same verse that I love. It's at the very end. Therefore, they plundered the Egyptians. The word plundered is exactly the word you're thinking about. It has the idea of Jack Sparrow finally getting his treasure that he had been looking for. And he plundered the enemy. He got all their wealth. The Bible says that they borrowed. And I love the fact that they borrowed stuff from the Egyptians. They knew they were never coming back. That's why whenever I loan out tools, them are my harbor freight tools I'm going to loan you. Not my good tools. Not my craftsman tools. You're going to get the ones that I can replace. Because typically if I let you borrow, it means I ain't going to see it again. And so the Egyptians, or they were plundered by the Israelites. There was some wisdom in the waiting. When they left, there was some wealth that they had. There were some things that they had. And if you and I will wait on God, there's some things he's doing. There's some things under the surface that he's working on. So let's not get annoyed and discouraged. Let me write this down. There's power in pausing. If there's wisdom in waiting, there's power in pausing. And that's what this whole evening was. It was the power of a pause. Many times, I never know what to say when I visit with a family going through a difficulty. I don't. I wish in seminary they would have taught me that, hey, when, when somebody's going through cancer, here's the verse, here's what you say, and you do that. When somebody goes through the loss of a child, here's the verse, here's what you say, and do that. Nobody's ever taught that. So you just go into situations. Maybe there's a death. Maybe there's a health crisis financial crisis, marriage crisis, you never know what you're going to get into. You never know what is just going to spring up. But a wise pastor once told me, when I asked him, I said, hey, what do you, what do you say in those moments? And it looked at me kind of funny, like, what do you mean, what do you say? That's the easiest one. You say nothing. You just Pause. And then he said, because there's power in that pause. Because you're just letting God work. You're just there. And the spirit is in you, the spirit begins to work. Because not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And there's power in the pause. When you and I just stop wrestling, stop fighting, stop forcing, we just say, okay, all right, God. I'm available and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tap, tap out, God. It's just you. I'm just here. And there's power in this pause. Church, we're in a moment where there's power in the pause. Where there's power in just saying, okay, God, you be God in this moment. I'll prove it to you. Chapter 14, verse number 13. Children of Israel, they've left Egypt. And now they come to a body of water called the Red Sea and they don't know what to do. And the Egyptian army is coming in behind them. And all of a sudden, what does God tell Moses to do? Does he say, hey, form ranks, put the soldiers in the front, the women and children in the back? God says this, be still and know that I am God. Oh, church, there's power to pause. There's power and we'll be just 
with all the world just, oh, it just frustrates me. The emotional turmoil, the pain in our world just breaks my heart, and all of a sudden I don't know what to do about it. And then I just got to pause and say, God, there's power right here. When I don't know what to do in my marriage, I just got to sit there and say, okay, God, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to pause. I'm just here. Because if I say something or I try to do something, I might make it worse. So God, I'm just, there's power in this pause. I don't know what to do with a rebellious child, so I'm just going to sit with them and let them know I'm here because there's power in this pause. I'm in an emergency room. I'm holding the hand of somebody who is breathing their last breaths, and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, you just pause and say, God, there's power in this pause. I don't know what to do in our church, but all of a sudden I just say, God, there's power in a pause right now. So we just find our God and we say, Lord, I'm just going to let you be God. And God said, thank you. That's all I've ever wanted. Because you and I will always look for the end or the escape. And maybe you feel like you're at the end. But that's why I love this passage. Because it's not an ending. It's the exit. Where God, after 430 years, said, okay, it's time to go. And let's go. And so as you feel trapped, as you feel overwhelmed and fearful, I want to let you know that this is not the end, but that God is leading you to the exit. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? There's always a way out. But that way out is God's way. All these pictures of Jesus throughout this passage, it's letting us know that at the center of it is Jesus. That Jesus is the only way we will ever escape this. Jesus is the only other way that we will make it through this. So in this moment, we must pause and we must say, God, we need you in this moment. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our parenting. We need you in our government. We need you in our homes. We need you in our churches. We need you in our schools. We need you in our cities and our communities. Oh, God, we need you. And so as God's children, as God's people, we must humble ourselves before him. And we must be ready to say, God, I'm ready to move. Maybe tonight... God is convicting you of a sin, of a habit. Maybe he's telling you, you love the world more than you love me. Or maybe God is saying, you're trying to escape something that you just need to wait till I lead you to the exit. Maybe you're at a moment where you say, Lord, I, I just, I don't want to mark this moment. I just want to forget it because I've done so much wrong and I'm so guilty and the shame is unbearable. But in this passage, we see that it was covered by the blood. To cover something means to hide it. Your sin is hid from God if you've allowed him to cover it. If you confess it and forsake it, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe you're here tonight And you are still living that first birth, not the second birth, not the new birth, not the born again life. And you say, tonight I want to give my life to Jesus. Well, right now, I'm going to invite you to an old-fashioned altar as we begin this new year. As we say, Lord, I'm going to find some faith over this fear. I feel overwhelmed. I feel incapable. I don't know what to do. That's the moment we hit the altar. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to say at the altar. 
Maybe for you, the power of a pause will become so real. So I'm going to invite the, uh, this pianist plays. I know we could sing. I know we could have the worship team. But right now, just you and God, soft piano music. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you can make an altar right there at your seat or you can come down forward right here. The altar is open. Would you come? Would you slip out of your seat and say, yeah, I want to discover the power of a pause. Right now, find your God. Say, Lord, I I need you. (laughs) My hope is in nothing less and Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Christ alone, my cornerstone. Would you come? Would you meet with God? Would you pour out your heart to him? Would you pour out the grief and the pain and the frustration? Would you let him speak to you? Would you let him work? Would you let him remind you of who you are in Christ, that you're a new creature? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Would you let him take it all away, the guilt and the shame, as you leave it at the foot of the cross and say, God, I've carried this shame, I've carried this guilt for far too long. Would you say, Lord, you need to deal with this. Do you have an addiction, a habit you can't deal with? Bring that too. Let God deal with that. Let God begin the work of restoration and renewal. Let God begin to heal the broken. Let God bind you up in the arms of his magnificent love. When we are at our worst, that's when God is at his best. Would you let him work? The only thing stopping your God from working is you. Our God loves us. He proved it 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary where his blood was poured out for you and for me. And in that moment, that glorious, awful moment, Sin's price was forever paid. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together, for opening up your word and showing us pictures, showing us that long before we existed, you were showing yourself right here in all these ceremonies and all these details that there, there's Jesus. Right now, we see the pain, we see the brokenness, we see the hurt, but Lord, help us to see that there, in the midst of it, there you are, there's Jesus. 
Through all the brokenness there, there we get glimpses of it. And help us to glimpse your glory. Help us to look full in your beautiful, wonderful face. Pray that the world and its luster and its dazzle would just fade. That only that we see is you. And we once again renew our commitment to wait on you. You're worthy. You're worthy, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. Would you be seated just for a moment? How good it is to be together. What a great opportunity. I love to be in God's house. A couple of announcements. We have changed our online giving platform. And uh, this is uh, several things. It opens up the the opportunity to, for us to save some money on a monthly basis. We'll save an estimated three to $400 by moving platforms, and it's still just as easy. It includes our text to give, and so there's a new number. So if you haven't seen it, I'll put it up on the screen here. It's a new uh, text to give number. It's a little bit longer, but once you save it into your, your uh, uh, mobile device, you'll have it. It'll be online, and uh, along with our, our online giving, our text to give platform, we've also changed over our church app. So if you'd go into uh, uh, iPhone or if you use Android and you'll see our new app and it's going to be under a Tithely app and you type in the church name and uh, this just helps us to save on the monthly because we are saving everything we can. We believe the next step is to put down on a property or a building and so we're just looking for any cost cutting measures that we can. So that'll be our new opportunity to give or you can give by filling out a uh, give envelope and you can drop it off in the uh, giving basket in the back on your way out. And then also, if this is your first time here at Southridge, so glad that you're here, honored that you'd be here. You might see more and more people wearing masks. We're trying to be just sensitive. So if you see me wearing a mask, it's a, a please do not get uh, uh, freaked out like, oh, is he sick? I'm, here's, here's the deal, folks. I understand that on the box, unless it's an N95 mask, I know that it says this mask will not protect you from infectious disease. We know that. I know that. But what I'm trying to do it's because right now there is such a faux pas in the air that you should not go to church that I want to make it still easy for you to be a witness. Today I went to a church and I talked to uh, who I thought was a regular attender. And I was talking to him and he said, oh, I'll be at your church tonight. Jacob Yabar has been inviting me for months. I was like, isn't that awesome? I'm somewhere random, and then I just bump into people. And there he is in the back. Jacob, your coworker is in the back waving at me. What a blessing. You guys need to connect. Make sure social distancing, do the shoulder or whatever, but you guys need to say hi to each other. And I just love that. I love that. But I want to make it easy for you to tell people, hey, come to church. And I know what they're going to say. Well, I don't know about going to church. We have a 1,900-seat auditorium. There's a balcony. And please, you can go use the balcony if you want. And uh, you, you, can, you can do that. You can wear a mask. I'll wear a mask around you. And our volunteers, we've asked our volunteers, if you see somebody with a mask, would you put on a mask? And if you're around somebody that doesn't wear a mask, then you take it off. But just we're trying to make it easy because we do understand the hospitalizations are a little bit up. We're not trying to make a political statement. I'm just trying to make it easy for you to be able to bring people to church where they can hear about the message of Jesus. And so Ridge Kids will also be reopening at the end of this month. We're going to try to get the nurseries open a little bit sooner, but we have it playing in the lobby, and so you'll see that there. And uh, so we put out some toys. We're trying to make it easy. I know it's frustrating for parents, so we really...
appreciate your patience. And the kids did so good tonight. Man, they did great. Parents, you guys are my heroes. Way to go. Just having the kids. My son Kane's over here. He's blowing up my phone bill. My dad is going to be through the roof, but it's okay, you know. I'm glad I didn't have to order a DVD through the mail he's got on the phone. It's all good, all right. So if that's what you got to do, man, bring them in. And uh, if we have to start buying extra iPads and all the kids grab an iPad on the way into church, man, we will figure this thing out. I believe it's great for the kids just being in God's house together. And then the other announcement is I uh, just want to let you know, uh, you saw Angel and Stephanie, their worship team, they've been helping out. They've been such a blessing. They just, we're so thankful for them. They are a part of Primera. Yeah, can we just thank them? Huge blessing. Huge blessing. And so we're so thankful and grateful for them. And uh, this week I had a, a meeting with uh, our worship leader, Leslie. Uh, she was under the weather for a little while, but then I did not know that she had been doing just a great job serving our church and leading our team. But to do that, she put her schooling on hold, and I didn't realize that. And she came to me and she said, look, Pastor, <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to get my education. I kind of want to move forward on some things. She said, I just, in this season, I don't know if I could do it. And I said, excellent. I've been waiting to lead worship again. And then Pastor Missile said, no, you're not allowed to lead worship again. And so I was kind of bummed. I wanted to go back to my theater days, you know. And even Eugene, he told me, no, 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 we lived through that. We're not doing that again. And so we are working the plans of just... Uh, Figuring things out, we don't know exactly what's going to do. Angel and Stephanie have been willing to fill in, but I'm especially thankful for Leslie. Can we just thank Leslie? What an amazing job. She's here this evening. We love her. Uh, but at the same time, we want to create an environment where if somebody's a little bit uh, just got to set some adjustments, that we just love and support them. And there's nothing bad. There's nothing, nobody did anything wrong or anything like that. We love them, support them. And you say, what, what about the, our worship people? Well, I'll say this, because we only have three worship people left. And if you have some hidden talent in worship and you've been holding back from us, well, we need you, all right? So I'll just say it like that. Now, if, you're, if your talent is like my talent, then we might need to do like a, a rehearsal or tryouts, you know, and have Simon Cowell say absolutely not, you know. But we need to, we, we, we would definitely welcome your help in... I literally thought today, this is what I thought. I thought I'd get some YouTube videos and I'd play worship on the screen. Because, you know, multi-site campuses, you'll go to a multi-site campus and the pastor's not live. The worship is, but the pastor's not. I was like, we'll do it reverse. That's what we'll do. Our worship won't be live, but the pastor will be live. Then we'll just do And then Angel and Stephanie just came in. And so we're, we, they came in literally last night at 12 a.m. this morning, actually, and uh, just helped some things out. So they were a blessing. So we can thank them. We're so grateful what God is doing. But I want to let you know, church, things like this have happened so many times. Like, you have no idea. I was driving down to Thanksgiving one day, and a worship leader emailed me. Hey, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. By the way, I quit. I love you. Bye. I was like, what a jerk. I hope he chokes on a turkey bone, you know? And it's just like, you know, it's, but, you know, you just you, you process it. And then you say, you know what? Here we are. We're still here. Come on. You guys, it's almost seven years. You put up with my bad singing, some of my bad messages. You put up with theater. We've been at 13 different locations. Come on. We will make it through this, and we will see Leslie back one day, and we love her. We'll support her, and it's going to be great. And we're going to have a great year, folks, because not that we hope so, is we believe God is still up to something. He's still on the throne. And so I refuse to give in. I, I, I believe that God's going to do some great things. So I'm going to pray us out here, and I'm going to ask God to pray. And so, Jacob, jump on up here. I'm going to ask you to pray real quick. Yeah, yeah, you. Come on, come on. Jump on up here. I knew I had to do this. 
Jillian, how many times have I texted him asking him to pray? And he's like, for sure, no. And so I knew I just had to put him on the spot. God bless you. Pray us out. We love you. <laughs> and say hi to your visitor. At the yeah, end. yeah, I sure will. Yeah, thanks, big dog. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you, Lord, to give you thanks. We thank you for uh, sending us Denzel Washington, the man on fire, with that message uh, delivered to my heart. There's some things I'm trying to find an escape from, and um, you're showing me exits. I thank you for that. Uh, thank you for all the things you've been pulling my family through. Uh, we're still trying to find some exits off of uh, some other people in my family, but we're still praying that you will free them, Lord. I believe you died for a reason. And I believe, you, your, I believe your blood means something. We thank you, Lord, for that Passover. We thank you for what you're going to do in advance for our church, for the church members, for the church across the nation, for this nation and the world, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.